0: Welcome to the DNVGL Talks Energy podcast series. Electrification, rise of renewables, and new technologies supported by more data and IT systems are transforming the power system. Join us each week as we discuss these changes with guests from around the industry.
1: Welcome to a new episode of DNVGL Talks Energy. Our guest today is Paul Gartner, Segment Director Storage of DNVGL. Welcome, Paul. Thank you for having me. Paul, um, DNV GL here at the Singapore International Energy Week has launched, at least for Singapore, uh, its energy transition outlook and there's a lot about the importance of renewables uh, in the future going forward and with that um, we come into a future where grids will have to deal with the variability and intermittency of renewables generation. You, uh, as a leader in storage in DNVGL, can maybe briefly before we jump into that topic explain a bit what you're doing in DNVGL and then we talk how storage and maybe other technologies can help us to handle this se- scenario. Yeah,
0: so um, in DNVGL, uh, storage is seen as, a, as an area of, of rapid growth around the world, of um, great interest for us. We have uh, currently several established teams You have. Uh, uh, extensive experience, particularly in testing of of storage devices, particularly batteries. We also in our maritime uh, business area have uh, substantial experience with uh, dealing with the safety issues of, of large batteries in enclosed spaces in, in vessels. Um, so my job is to coordinate our activities in storage around the company, around the globe, to make sure that um, we are sharing experience wherever we can and that we are achieving Uh, common standards
1: in our delivery of services to customers. Great, thank you. So um, again maybe setting the scene a bit, in our report we are saying that from today to 2050 uh, the electricity demand will grow by about 140 percent and we're also saying that 72 percent of the electricity will be generated by renewables, 36 percent solar, 24 percent onshore wind, 12 percent offshore wind and that brings us to what I mentioned at the beginning this high variability or intermittency, depending on which technology you're talking about, um, of the generation connected to the grid. So what would we say, how can we handle such a scenario?
0: So the the first thing to say is that is that storage is uh, uh, useful for that but it's not essential um, and on its own it's probably not sufficient to deal with the issues of High variability of, uh, of particularly wind and, and PV. There are other solutions, and those solutions typically are greater interconnection, greater electrical interconnection uh, across countries and across uh, between countries, and even uh, between continents eventually. Um, uh, flexible uh, generation, particularly gas turbines. Um, where we're seeing uh, great developments by the gas turbine manufacturers in making their products more, more flexible. Um, and demand-side management, demand-side demand response which also provides a great deal of flexibility and, uh, and to some extent all these options are competing with, with storage for, for providing the necessary services to run grids with high penetration available renewables.
1: Right. So since, since we have you here as the uh, segment director of storage, I'd like to focus a little bit on storage and I'm very happy to come back to other technologies maybe a little bit later. Um, but uh, what I always found interesting discussing with you when we were talking about business cases for storage because I understood only uh, storing energy or electricity for some time and releasing it then is very often not enough of a business case for storage. So maybe you could explain a little bit. Uh, what that needs to make storage yeah. useful.
0: Yeah, so it's it's quite interesting to, con- to 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 look at what storage already exists on electricity systems, and and most of it, in fact, the vast majority, over ninety five percent of it, is pumped hydro. And it's interesting to consider why that is there and the justification for building all that pumped hydro capacity. Most of that justification has been exactly this: uh, energy arbitrage, being able to sell the energy. Uh, at high price periods or high value periods. However, we see currently that that is not sufficient um, and even in the case of the UK, the pumped hydro capacity in the UK just now is, um, most of its income is not coming from that energy arbitrage, it's coming from providing ancillary services, capacity, frequency response. So the lesson for pumped hydro applies equally, in, in particularly in batteries, that the, the the energy transfer, the time delay of energy is not sufficient to justify, economically justify, the, the, the cost of building the storage. Uh, most of the value we see comes from providing ancillary services, particularly frequency response.
1: Right. When we talk about renewables and uh, the kind of requirements to make them really grow as fast as we need them to grow, we are also talking about regulatory issues and I would believe the same applies for technologies like storage. So, what about regulatory requirements uh, for storage?
0: There is There are some regulatory barriers. We have found previously in, in the growth of renewables that actually regulatory issues can be serious impediments because of the, in, the, the, the structural delays that are inherent in, in regulation. Regulation is very close to legislation. And it needs, um, for very good reasons, it needs time to get consensus and for everyone to understand what's, what's happening or what's being proposed. And those regulatory delays themselves are, are barriers. Even if uh, everyone agrees what has to happen, just the time taken to implement it can cause significant delays. So for example, um, in some countries there have been significant delays in the ability to implement storage because there has not been a common definition of what storage actually is in terms of the electrical system. And that sounds silly but actually it's important because uh, in some countries, uh, a, they operate through systems of licenses, so can be, there are generator licenses and there are network operator licenses and there are energy supply licenses, and it's not clear in those licensed environments, it's not clear exactly where storage fits. If it can be considered as a generator, then that has different implications than if it's considered as um, something that a network operator can can do uh, and that's important for storage because storage actually the inherent technology provides benefits both to generators and to network operators so it's important as to who actually gets those benefits who is allowed to gain those benefits uh, and so that's one of the, the regulatory barriers that that, that that comes in in the way of, of storage that's probably the, the, the dominant one just the pace of regulatory change
1: right um, although we see storage in relatively large scale being built in some countries, uh, so I most recently remember news from Australia where I think AGL is doing a 250 megawatt storage uh, facility and Tesla is doing a hundred megawatt uh, project. Um, costs seem to be perceived still relatively high for storage, um, and I think we have earlier agreed that there is a lot of potential still for technology advancements also in storage. So. What is your view on the cost development in the future and where that technology will go?
0: Well, just last week I was in a a battery manufacturing plant and it's really very impressive how uh, automated the manufacturing is. And my view is that we we will see a substantial cost reduction to come just from manufacturing improvements and increases in volume. And it's worth noting that, particularly for batteries, it's worth noting that Around about 90% of the, the batteries that are being manufactured now um, for, for long-term energy storage, rechargeable batteries, are being manufactured for electric vehicles. Not for stationary storage, for grid-connected storage of the kind we're talking about today. So it's actually the electric vehicle market that's driving these manufacturing improvements and, the, and those will drive the cost reductions. Now, with a big enough market and enough time we will definitely see Significant technical improvements, new technologies will emerge, but but currently we don 't see any game changers on the horizon, uh, or yeah possibly uh, there are some, but nothing that we can see uh, has a, a very good chance of making a very big difference in the next few years. The, the difference in the next few years is going to be achieved by volume manufacturing and small scale improvements to the existing technologies yeah.
1: Uh, What would be great, uh, Paul, if you could maybe also talk a little bit about the different types of storage technologies for different purposes. I think one thing I'm observing uh, if we go for the maybe leading uh, electric vehicles slash battery manufacturers these days a big battery is basically just a stack of a lot of, of small batteries yeah. and they just uh, make bigger and bigger bundles. But I'm not entirely sure if this is necessarily the, be- the best answer to what we actually need in the grid. Obviously, it has the advantage that you have more leverage on cost because you can kind of replicate the same thing a lot of times, but uh, there must be different types of storage for different applications in the grid. I think at the beginning a little bit you elaborated on this already, but if you could give us a bit more of an overview there, um, what technologies are out there.
0: Yeah, so the the battery technologies um, are uh, very much, as you've said, they're they're small units produced in very large quantities and combined in in some modules or packs or or bundles. we should not forget that there is also the flow battery technologies, which are uh, entirely different technology and rely upon uh, storage, effectively storage of chemicals in in large tanks. So that's it has different economic drivers, um, and we can expect therefore that it could fill a different economic niche. So that's the those are the electricity, the, the, the battery type technologies for storage. There's also uh, many other forms, uh, flywheels, for example, um, which are very good at storing power, uh, for uh, being able to deliver a large amount of power in a very short time. Um, and so for some applications, flywheels will be, will be attractive. And we also, we also see capacitors, supercapacitors, which again are able to deliver very large amounts of power in, in, for over very short timescales. The timescale issue is a very good way of looking at storage technology. So we've just talked about the ones that can deliver uh, large amounts of power in short durations. There are other applications that require uh, power over longer periods. Um, now, some battery technologies are suitable for that, the flow batteries particularly are, are but then we go into even longer timescales, and then we're looking at uh, the technologies, existing technology like pumped hydro, like we mentioned before, or even just water, in a, in, even if it's not pumped, just a reservoir hydro. And then there are other technologies of even longer time scales, um, such as uh, thermal storage. So, storing energy as heat, that, and that works most economically if the end use is also heat. So, storing particularly surplus renewables as heat for then using as heat is actually one of the attractive propositions for. Our next challenge, after we have decarbonised electricity and decarbonised transport, our next challenge is decarbonized heat and cooling to some extent. And so actually storing heat is a very good way. That, that, that becomes green heat. And a similar application with similar characteristics is, is, is power to gas, creating particularly hydrogen, but maybe methane, maybe ammonia, maybe others, from surplus renewable electricity as green gas and using that directly uh, to provide heat or to provide cooking and industrial processes. So the time scale is the most useful way of thinking about the, the difference in the technologies and the difference in the niches that
1: they will fulfill. Right. So this also suggests um, that probably based on location where you are on the globe uh, there will be very different storage technologies predominant. So here very close to the equator in Singapore, uh, we will have a day-to-day probably requirement for storage because most of the time we have quite good sun over here. Yeah. Whereas in the northern hemisphere, um, if we climb up the latitudes, we will have more of a seasonal uh, change. So, um, having that in mind, um, is there an upper limit, maybe globally or at certain locations in the world, for renewables integration?
0: There, there is certainly no technical upper limit. If we wanted to, we could have uh, electricity systems and maybe even larger scale energy systems supplied 100% by wind and PV, if we really wanted to. Technically that can be done. It will require us to have some technology development, it will require us to uh, certainly have some uh, new regulatory economic approaches, but technically it could be done. Uh, the real limit is an economic limit because particularly as you mentioned in the northern latitudes where there is much greater seasonality, not just in the, we should remember it's not just seasonality in the renewable resource, it's also seasonality in the energy demand, particularly heat demand. Very, very strong uh, seasonality in that. Um, So if you wanted to have a 100% renewable system to, to supply that, you would end up building capacity that you would only use once in a blue moon, once every 10 years in a really unfortunate set of circumstances. Now you could do it, but it's a bit silly to build something very expensive that you're only going to use uh, once, in, once in a decade. So the alternative to that is these other technologies we mentioned at the, at the beginning, like greater interconnection to smooth the seasonality or um, flexible generation particularly. So there is a role for gas Uh, for for gas fire generation, which is cheap to build, expensive to run, cheap to build, so this lower capital cost than providing storage to to manage that last one megawatt hour you need Mm. once a decade.
1: Paul, unfortunately we are coming slowly to an end uh, of this episode already, but I have one last question for you. Um, What is your main takeaway from the Singapore International Energy Week 2017?
0: Two really. Uh, The main takeaway is the enormous interest in renewables, in wind, particularly in PV, um, uh, enormous interest but also acceptance that it is, it is here and it is happening and that is a big change from similar events that might have attended even a couple of years ago. And specifically within the PV, there's a, a very large amount of interest in, um, in floating PV, floating solar, which again is something that um, was really not on anyone's horizon uh, even a couple of years ago so really interesting for me
1: right thank you very much paul for these uh, great insights and uh, i learned a lot of uh, new uh, things about storage to the listeners uh, many thanks for listening in that was paul gartner segment director storage of dnvgl
0: thank you for listening to this dnvgl talks energy podcast to hear more podcasts in the series please visit dnvgl.com/talksenergy